This is Health Dose, a conversational podcast where we discuss issues affecting your health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Today's topic is understanding epilepsy and new treatment options. Paul Lavin, MD, specializes in neurohospitalist medicine. Dr. Lavin provides inpatient care for patients who are hospitalized with neurologic conditions at My Michigan Medical Center in Midland. Dr. Lavin is board certified in neurology and completed a fellowship for epilepsy at the Cleveland Medical Center. Healthos ask Dr. Lavin, what does a neurohospitalist do? So a neurohospitalist is a neurology trained doctor who takes care of hospitalized patients who are admitted to the hospital who have some type of neurologic problem that requires that expertise. So patients can come in for multiple reasons and neurologists can be consulted in the hospital to address issues such as acute strokes, including bleeding in the brain or ischemic strokes, convulsive seizures, or patients with unexplained changes in their mental status that requires a neurologist to kind of pinpoint what is causing their neurologic changes in the hospital setting. You're the specialist they bring in first to try to determine which of these categories of neurological problems a person might have. Exactly. So it's very useful to have somebody well-trained in the neurological exam to really tease out which parts of the neurologic system are impacted. Is it the peripheral nervous system, more in the central nervous system? So neurologist is key to be able to acutely and quickly address these, these patients with those issues. What percentages do you see that are stroke versus epilepsy? Where, where is your practice split on those issues? I would say roughly 40 to 50% of the patients I see are acute strokes in the hospital. And then another, let's say 20% possible seizures or active seizures. The rest I would probably divide into the other category where they may have unexplained mental status changes. Explain what epilepsy is and what is a seizure? The way I describe a seizure to somebody is it's a transient clinical signs or symptoms that's related to an abnormal electrical activity in the brain. The way I describe it to patients is that it's a almost like a short circuit. So our brain is full of neurons and different networks and all of these work together in a very organized manner. And what can happen, a, a very short circuit of electrical activity can just spark and cause clinical symptoms to present as a seizure. And then epilepsy is when there's a predisposition to have recurrent seizures throughout somebody's lifetime. So it's possible I could have a seizure and not have epilepsy, but if I have epilepsy, is that defined by the seizure? Exactly. So having a one-time seizure does not diagnose somebody with epilepsy. What we do is when somebody first has a seizure, we want to first clarify what symptoms they presented with and confirm it was a seizure. But to diagnose epilepsy, we have to have demonstration that recurrent seizures are going to happen in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. One way the International League Against Epilepsy recommends to diagnose is when somebody has more than two unprovoked seizures separated by more than a 24-hour period. We know from studies is that when somebody comes with a first-time unprovoked seizure, the risk of subsequent seizures in the next two years is roughly 40 to 50%. And usually we diagnose epilepsy when the risk is greater than 60%. And typically that's the case when you have more than two unprovoked seizures more than 24 hours apart. What causes seizures that are not epilepsy? And what about a person who has epilepsy causes them to have them? Mm -hmm. 
The way to think about a first-time seizure is to ask the question, is it provoked seizure or unprovoked? And when I say provoked, it means there's some type of problem or derangement that's causing the seizure. So for example, if somebody comes with a very low blood sugar and they have a seizure, we would call that a provoked seizure from low blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Likewise, if somebody were to injure their head and cause bleeding in the brain and they have a seizure quickly after that, we would call that a provoked seizure. So in that case, we would not diagnose them with epilepsy at that time. We would call it a first time symptomatic seizure. Mm -hmm. So conversely, you would say that a person who has an epileptic seizure is somebody who has unprovoked seizures, no trauma, no chemical issue going on in their body that would cause it. Is that correct? That's correct. And with time, what happens is with somebody with a first time seizure, it could have been provoked from some type of injury. But then let's say down the road, years or months later, they have recurrent unprovoked seizures. And then we would be more concerned that they have an epileptic disorder. Mm -hmm. So it's this predisposition that nothing is going on metabolically, such as electrolyte problems or other problems in the uh, in the nervous system to cause a seizure but people are in their normal state of health but then they keep having seizures mm -hmm. how long do seizures usually last what is the typical length of time typically a seizure will last from seconds up to two to three minutes they can last longer in fact if they go longer than five minutes we are concerned about what's called status epilepticus which is continuous seizure activity that is not stopping within five minutes. But typically, it'll last no longer than one to three minutes. Do we still use the term grand mal and petty mal? Do we still use those terms? So those terms used to be used. The International League Against Epilepsy updated those names in 2017. So the way they actually classify seizures is they classify them based off which region of the brain they start in. So we have a left and right hemisphere in the brain. And within that, we have a frontal lobe, temporal lobe, parietal lobe, and occipital lobe. So depending where the seizure starts, we will classify the type of epilepsy it is. Mm -hmm. So for example, the International League Against Epilepsy classifies generalized onset when the seizure activity starts on both hemispheres, left and right, at the same time. And they classify Focal epilepsy is when it starts in one part of the brain. So there are different types of seizures based on what part of the brain is being affected or is causing the symptoms. Exactly. So a seizure that presents with a generalized onset is going to present differently from a seizure that starts in one part of the brain, such as the temporal lobe. Mm -hmm. So for example, a patient with temporal lobe epilepsy may feel what's called an aura. An aura is some type of symptom subjectively the patient feels at the beginning of the seizure. So some examples of auras include strange smells. Some people can have like a burning smell or a strange taste like a metallic taste. In fact, some patients can even feel a strange sensation such as a deja vu or a sudden onset of fear. And so this is the very beginning of their seizure starting in the temporal lobe. Whereas a, a seizure that starts in both hemispheres, in the generalized, the patient typically does not get any warning signs that they're going to happen. They can suddenly lose consciousness and have what's called a generalized tonic-clonic seizure, which is what we used to call a grand mal seizure. Do we really know what causes epilepsy? The key thing about epilepsy is that there's many different causes. It's a condition that affects 
patients of all age, starting from birth in the neonatal period, childhood, adolescence, up to the elderly. So all of these different age groups have a different etiologies that can cause the epilepsy. So in the elderly population, we can see most commonly caused from prior strokes. When there's a stroke in the brain, that can cause an old scar and that can cause that short circuit I talked about earlier where that scar can irritate the brain and cause an epileptic seizure. And then we see things in childhood where children can have what's called absence epilepsy, where there may be some genetic related factors, but they typically grow out of their seizures. So it's a wide variety of different epilepsy syndromes that we see. Do you find that there are any connections between people who suffer epilepsy? Are there common risk factors that go into a person's development of the disorder? That's a great question. So I think the first thing we ask any patient with a first-time seizure is we ask about epilepsy risk factors. So we ask about things such as, is there any history of preterm birth? Because we know patients who are born preterm are higher risk of epilepsy. Developmental delays during childhood is another risk factor. Other things we ask about include infections in the brain, such as meningitis. Other risk factors include family history of epilepsy, as well as history of traumatic brain injury or hemorrhages in the brain. That can be a risk factor for epilepsy. What are the dangers associated with epilepsy? The dangers with epilepsy is patients are at risk of injury during a seizure. So somebody who has a seizure in a dangerous situation can have bodily harm, They can fall and fracture ribs. They can injure themselves. I've seen patients with vertebral fractures in their spine. People can suffer drowning related to their seizures if they're in water. So any dangerous situation where they can lose consciousness can lead to a dangerous situation like that. The first one that comes to mind is a person driving a car having a seizure. It's a real problem. I've seen several patients who who drive and they get involved in motor vehicle accidents caused by epileptic seizures. And it's a very disabling condition because people rely on transportation in America for work and jobs. And we have to educate them that based off state law that they cannot drive for at least six months seizure free. But other than the risk of falling and breaking a bone or being involved in a car accident, is the condition of epilepsy in and of itself, does it cause other problems to my health? It can, absolutely. So we see other factors that epilepsy can impact. Epilepsy is more than just having seizure. It impacts somebody's health in other ways. Psychologically, we know that anxiety and depression are more than two or three times more common in epilepsy. And that could be related to the undergoing changes in the brain related to the undergoing epilepsy disorder. Patients with temporal lobe epilepsy often have memory loss due to recurrent seizures in the brain. So it impacts patients' total health in ways beyond just having breakthrough seizures. Once you've determined that a patient has epilepsy, what are their treatment options? So the first thing is to have an excellent understanding of their epilepsy syndrome. We want to understand, is it a generalized onset starting in both sides of the brain, or is it starting in one part of the brain? Because that impacts the treatment. And then we want to find out, based off their type of epilepsy, their past medical history, their underlying surgical history, what treatment options are best. So we typically will 
choose an anti-seizure medication to control the seizures. There's currently over 30 different anti-seizure medications available, and choosing the correct one depends on the type of seizure. There are other medical problems, there are other medications to choose the right one the patient can tolerate to have a good life and not have too many side effects and also control their seizures. Those medications have come a long way in the last few decades. Correct. They really have some of the older medications, such as phenobarbital, have a lot of problems, including bone loss, osteoporosis, and it leads to a lot of drowsiness and side effects. So through time, a lot of the newer medications are a lot cleaner. They have a lot less side effects and drug-drug interactions. Are there treatment options outside of medication? Yes, there are. So there are several different medication options. With people who fail multiple seizure medications, they can be evaluated at Epilepsy Surgical Center to undergo what's called a pre-surgical evaluation. And this is when they take a look at what other treatment options there are. What we define as medically intractable epilepsy is when somebody has breakthrough seizures despite a trial of two appropriately chosen anti-seizure medications. So despite those two appropriate seizure medications, they keep having breakthrough seizures. And then we would refer them to an epilepsy surgical center. There they go undergo a comprehensive evaluation, including neuropsychological testing, special imaging tests to see if they're a potential surgical candidate. This is one of the most underutilized surgeries in the world because we can potentially cure somebody's epilepsy through a surgical approach and maintain their quality of life, maintain their memory if they're appropriately chosen and the surgery is done correctly. Other treatment options outside of surgery include devices such as a vagal nerve stimulator. So this is a device that's implanted, connected to the vagal nerve in the neck. So it's a device that's implanted in the chest. And we don't completely understand how this works, but it's a device that will stimulate the vagus nerve and will help reduce the amount of seizures you have. Other treatment options include the ketogenic diet, which is a specialized diet that can involve using high fats. And this diet helps lower the amount of seizures as well. When somebody has a ketogenic diet, normally the brain likes to consume glucose, but when somebody starts a ketogenic diet, they start to produce ketone bodies. So fat is broken down into ketone bodies. And through different mechanisms not fully understood, the ketone bodies is anti-epileptic. It protects against seizures. So this is a natural dietary method people can utilize to prevent seizures. You mentioned surgical options for treatment of epilepsy. What are they actually doing? That's a great question. So depending where the seizures are coming from, there are several different surgical options. So often these are patients with um, seizures starting in one part of the brain. So what they can do is localize using different tests, including electroencephalogram, under video analysis. So they actually need to have patients come into the hospital and record their seizures under a hospital setting mm -hmm. and then record it under what's called an EEG to see where in the brain the seizure starts from during their typical seizures. So then using all this information, including brain imaging, neuropsychology, and this video EEG test, they determine a surgical approach. They can actually resect parts of the temporal lobe where the seizure starts 
and potentially cure their epilepsy or significantly reduce the amount of seizures they have. Another approach is laser ablation. Instead of an open craniectomy where they go in and cut out certain parts of the brain, they can actually use a laser guided that goes in and heats up the affected tissue to kill off those cells that are causing the epileptic seizures. So it's kind of like looking for a short circuit in the brain and then taking it out with a laser. Exactly. So how does a person know when they need to seek treatment and who's the person they should see first? Mm -hmm. So anybody with a first time seizure should be evaluated urgently to find out why this happened. Typically, patients may present to the hospital for a first time seizure and undergo some further workup. Any neurology specialist can evaluate somebody with seizures and find out further information what could increase the risk of epilepsy, mm -hmm. whether they need treatment now or watchful waiting to see if they need treatment in the future if they do develop epilepsy. What motivated you to go into this type of medicine? I think I was very fascinated by every epileptic patient I see is unique. So everybody needs a different approach to treatment. It's a different person every time. So you really have to spend time to get to know that person. You first get to know who they are, what their values are, what their medical issues are, and have a better understanding of their overall health, and that will help you guide the treatment. So I just really enjoyed the fascination with understanding the patient and then understanding the complexity of their underlying epilepsy to best treat them. That is neurohospitalist Dr. Paul Lavin, MD. Dr. Lavin provides inpatient care for patients who are hospitalized with neurologic conditions at My Michigan Medical Center in Midland. His special interests and procedures include stroke, epilepsy, and electroencephalograms. If you have health concerns, the best place to start is your primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to mymichigan.org slash doctors. For more information about My Michigan's neuroscience program, go to mymichigan.org slash neuroscience. And if you or someone you know has epilepsy and needs help, there's lots of resources available to you at epilepsymichigan.org. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Check back again soon for another episode of Health Dose.